Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. OPEC Plus members did agree to a surprise new supply cutback of about 900,000 barrels a day. And Saudi Arabia also promised to continue with its unilateral 1 million barrel a day cut through the first quarter. We got reaction from Christian Malik, who's global head of energy strategy at J.P. Morgan. The way I look at this is the Saudi lollipop has become the OPEC lollipop. Um, and, and I think in, in, in that vein, what's important here is that all of it because recognize that speculators are not conducive to stability in, in investment and therefore controlling that price, making it conducive within a range that's healthy is the key. I know we're looking at deficits. I'd sort of say they're not trying to force a deficit. They're not trying to force the price higher. What they're trying to do is protect the price um, in a range that's healthy for everybody. That's Christian Malik. Still, traders are wary of how far countries will go and will follow through on voluntary production cuts. During today's OPEC Plus talks, Angola, for instance, said it would reject the diminished output quota and would keep pumping at current levels. Also, in a surprise move, Brazil will join the cooperation charter of the OPEC Plus oil alliance. It's a move that won't bind it to making production cuts. Today, we got more evidence that the U.S. economy is slowing. Inflation-adjusted personal spending rose just two-tenths of one percent last month after a smaller September gain. This is according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. Separate data showed U.S. jobless claims rose to the highest in about two years. And today's data might help reassure the Fed that inflation repressures will continue to fall. We got reaction from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Nobody is arguing with the idea that the Fed is going to cut rates in 2024. The Fed said it was going to cut rates in 2024 in the September dot plot. We'll see what they do on December 13th. But uh, it's really a question of how fast inflation comes down. And that'll give you a better idea of when the Fed's going to be thinking about it. That's Bloomberg's Michael McKee there. The Fed meets next on December 12 and 13. Well, let's take a closer look at this one. We are looking at Tesla and it rolling out its long-awaited Cybertruck for delivery. Here's Tesla's CEO Elon Musk at the unveiling. It's very rare that a product comes along that is uh, seemingly impossible, uh, that, that people said was impossible, that experts said was impossible. And this is one of those times. That's Elon Musk. The cheapest Cybertruck is priced at about $61,000 and will be available in 2025. That's still two years behind schedule. Elon Musk has lamented how, quote, insanely difficult the Cybertruck is to produce. Tesla shares uh, traded down in the regular session 1.7% and down another 2% here in late trading. 
Ford has restored its financial guidance for the year. It says it'll be up to $1.5 billion lower than it was before the United Auto Workers strike in October. Ford also said higher labour costs will add about $900 to the cost of each car. That compares to the $575 figure that General Motors announced yesterday. We asked Ford's Chief Financial Officer John Lawler about the discrepancy. I'm not exactly sure why their number is that much lower than ours. That's something that we'd have to unpack with them. We know what we've done with this contract. We know what the start point is. It's 60 to 70 basis points on our income statement basis. And now what we need to do is we need to work on driving productivity and efficiencies and reducing the labor hours, the hours it takes to build a vehicle, and reducing that cost. And that's what we're going to be focused on going forward. That's Ford CFO John Lawler there, and Ford shares closed down about 3% in New York. Walt Disney has declared a dividend of $0.30 a share for the second half of the fiscal year. Disney said the payment will be made on January 10th to shareholders of record on December 1st. The payout had been halted during the pandemic. And Disney has been under pressure to improve its performance and restore its dividend by the activist investor Nelson Peltz, who has been seeking board seats at the company. Bloomberg's Gita Ranganathan tells us what we can expect next from the company. The other main thing I think that we're looking, uh, especially over the next few weeks, is how they kind of close out the Hulu deal. This is something that they're currently working uh, with Comcast there to acquire about 33% of, of the Hulu stake from Comcast. And then I think the bigger question is going to be the strategy for ESPN moving forward. That's Gita Ranganathan. Shares of Disney in the regular session were up about two-tenths of a percent, further than in after-hours trading, up about uh, six-tenths of one percent. All right, time now for global news. Israel and Hamas agreeing to extend the ceasefire again for at least one more day. Ed Baxter with that story and the rest of the news from San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, that's right, Brian. They say negotiations are continuing, but Bloomberg's Nick Wadham says very important question is in play. It's not clear how many more hostages Hamas actually has to trade. So the, the, the truce has operated under the premise that Hamas would release about 10 people every day in exchange for 30 Palestinians in Israeli jails. And how many more people do they have to keep that up? Yeah, but uh, U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says hopes, well, he hopes that it could be extended. We're working at it literally by the hour to see if we can get this seventh day turned into an eighth and ninth and tenth and, and beyond. But, but all, all I can do is tell you where we are right now, and we're glad that we got a seventh day out of this. Uh, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, have noted that at, at least at the time that I came out here, two hostages had uh, made their way back. But with the tenuous nature of it all, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in Israel today and says he told Israeli leaders that uh, when the fighting begins again... The way Israel defends itself matters. It's imperative that Israel act in accordance with international humanitarian law and the laws of war, even when confronting a terrorist group that respects neither. And this goes side by side as two Palestinian gunmen open fire at a Jerusalem Jerusalem bus stop, killing three people and wounding six today. We're reminded yet again by the events in Jerusalem today of the threat from terrorism that uh, Israel and Israelis face every single day. So as negotiations go on, as does the ceasefire, but how long is the question? TikTok CEO Xiaochu and other top execs met recently with 40 influential business leaders who are pushing for moderation of anti-Semitic content and questioning why pro-Palestine videos are so popular. It looks now as if a George Santos expulsion motion will be voted on tomorrow. Santos again today calling it 
a waste of time. An unfortunate circumstance that I have to sit here and watch the American people waste, uh, Congress waste the American people's time over and over again on something that is the power of the people, not the power of Congress. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries expects it to succeed. I expect that there'll be a bipartisan vote tomorrow, likely to expel George Santos, but at the moment that remains to be seen. Uh, and we'll see what happens on the floor. Yeah, Santos uh, did say it's uh, not goodbye forever. And some of China's A-list are flocking to Hong Kong for Louis Vuitton's first show. Guest list includes boy band stars and popular Asian actors. The brand has transformed the avenue of the star's Harbor Point promenade into a beach in the city, including a sandy runway. A major thrust is a focus on younger generations' interest in the iconic brand. I don't know whether Brian got a got an invite or not. Uh, Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter. This is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us now is Mike McGlone, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Commodity Strategist on the OPEC Plus decision today. So I think as we heard in that clip, and as many are saying, that uh, perhaps not really to push the, the oil price significantly higher, but perhaps to stem the losses. At the moment, WTI is trading at $75.61. And what about those fears that some of these members will not fully implement these cuts, Mike? Well, that's the standard fare. It's usually the significant fare we've had in the past. But they've been really impressive with their diligence in keeping to the quotas. The significance is the macro for crude oil is really bad. And part of that is we started off the segment with talking about the Tesla Cybertruck. Now, 10 years ago, we didn't talk about, you know, revolutionary vehicles that don't burn any <laughs> any fossil fuels. But the key thing to remember about OPEC is they would not be able to institute their cuts if they had strong demand from their customers, i.e. China and Europe. And that's just indicative of what's happening in the broad market for commodities. It's on the back end of a very big pump from last year, and now it's in the dump phase. So that supply and demand elasticity is very bad. And then you look at the macro, it's overwhelming. The um, We have a recessionary tilt in in Europe, we have China's property crisis and diminishing and deteriorating growth, and then the recession in the U.S. So, to me, this whole 
tilt for crude oil is just part of the beginning of a normal cycle to go lower. And OPEC's doing everything they can to support it, but it's almost a futile event. Partly, here's one example. Is when they boosted prices up to the peak in July, which actually peaked in September, most central banks kept cutting. And part of that reason was higher oil and energy prices. And now we have the macro effects of those great cuts and oil doing what it typically does when it gets too expensive. It's probably heading towards too cheap. The question is, how low is that? Maybe we can come back to the demand side in a minute, but uh, just on the supply side, how does discipline look in OPEC Plus at the moment? Because we'll just give you the case of Angola, for example, gets its quota downgraded by 200,000 barrels a day, and Angola immediately says, nah, we're not doing that. <laughs> Where's the unity here? Well, I think that's the key thing, Paul. You're, you're reaching the limits of the discipline. So there's a metric I love to watch is I, I, to show really where oil is going. If you take OPEC spare capacity and add that to the excess of uh, supply versus demand out of the U.S. and Canada, it's significantly heading towards a greater portion of global production. It's still tent tilting bare. So I think what you're finding here and seeing here, and the market says, okay, well, that's about the limit to their cuts unless lower prices make them cut more by um, reducing their incentive to produce. So I think that's where the oil price is. So let's look at it right now in the year. The high price for WTI is around 95 and the low is right around 65. So it's starting to get close to that low for the year. And the question is, what's going to make it go higher? The global tilt towards recession is quite bad. And OPEC's just, they're a small and small part of production. So to give you an example, 2008, there may be about 40% of total production. Now they're tilting less than 30% of total global production. It's non OPEC. U.S., Canada are key sources, Brazil, Angola are um, keeping up that supply. And a lot of it is on the back of the big pumping prices from last year. Angola, kind of a small producer. I wonder, uh, though, I mean, particularly given the environment you just suggested, uh, would Angola possibly be pushed out like Ecuador was once? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's, it's They are a small producer, but that's the key thing I pointed out and wanted to point out last year when Cruel pumped up to 130 last year. There are almost 70 countries that can and do export crude oil. And that big rise in price gave them the most incentive in a good decade to do so. So that's what's happening. Also, it's squashing demand. We've really seen that in Europe. You're seeing that in U.S. Unleaded gas, diesel gas, natural gas, all are declining. The, the demand for that are declining on a year-over-year basis in the U.S. So um, those indications are recessionary, and prices are just kind of tilting that way. So right now in the year, crude oil is only down about 6%. It caught up the copper. Copper's bounced. But the Bloomberg Commodity Index is down 8%. So to me, this is just part of that tilt towards global recession. And on the back of the farmers say is the higher price cure is the key cure for higher prices. So that's what's happening now. And I like to say, what stops it? This is just another indication. Is I don't think they can cut much more. And even if they try to, the market's not going um, to believe them. We've also got Brazil joining the cooperation charter of OPEC+. Plus. How significant is that? It's it's a tilt in the right way. I, I've read through that. It looks like they're not going to be constrained by um, cutting supply. But um, it's also, again, global free market capitalism. If they need money and revenues are low and they have this free source to do it, it's kind of hard to just say we're not going to do that anymore. And also, OPEC needs more and more members because they are a diminishing part of global supply. Like I said, used to be around 40 percent, and now it's less than 30 percent. See that trend? It's just not this cartel has actually pushed themselves out of business by keeping prices too high for too long. 
I know you touched on this a little bit earlier about uh, demand. And uh, if we get a recession, obviously, uh, you know, we're going to see uh, a lot less uh, oil being purchased. Uh, But to what degree does oil kind of give us a message about global growth? Key thing, I'm glad you went there because they are it is giving us a message in addition to the inverted yield curve, the, the slack demand in the U.S. for diesel and leaded gas and natural gas. The, what Industrial metals have been one of the worst performers this year. The Bloomberg Industrial Metals Index is down about 13 percent. Oil's catching up to that. So from a commodity standpoint, oil down, industrial metals down, grains down, and gold up. That's a clear recessionary trajectory. All right, Mike. Thanks very much. Good intel. Mike McGlone, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Commodity Strategist. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.